Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. In this podcast series, I try to take books on finance, from personal finance to investments, and try to break them down and give my perspective and also try to distill the author's perspective for a particularly young Indian audience. In this episode, we are discussing chapter number four in the book, Psychology of Money, titled Confounding Compounding. Hazel introduces this chapter by saying $81.5 billion of Warren Buffett's $84.5 billion net worth came after his 65th birthday. Our minds are not built to handle such absurdities. If you're looking in percentage terms, that is 96.4% of his wealth came after his 65th birthday. And in rupee terms, 81.5 is roughly just over 6 lakh crores and 84.5 is about 6.3 lakh crores. Now he opens this up by saying, lessons from one field can often teach us something important about unrelated fields. And the lesson he's trying to, to give us in this chapter is the importance of compounding, a simple compound interest. And the lesson from another field that he's using is that of the Ice Age. Um, and he says that the big takeaway from the Ice Ages or the, or the fact that the, the, the world has had five Ice Ages over its long history is that you don't need tremendous force to create tremendous results. If something compounds, a, a small starting base can lead to results so extraordinary, they seem to defy logic. It can be so logic defying that you underestimate what's possible, where growth comes from and what it can lead to. And so it is with money. And this, and in the second part of the chapter, he discusses the importance of Warren Buffett's compounding over his long investment journey. And he started investing at the ripe young age of 10, and he's about 80, 85 years old, and he's still continuing to compound his wealth since then. And, and he says that there are many wonderful in-depth books written about Warren Buffett, his associate Charlie Munger, and their investing philosophies. But he says, few pay attention to the simplest fact. Buffett's fortune isn't due to just being a good investor, but being a good investor since he was literally a child. Warren Buffett is a phenomenal investor, but you miss a key point if you attach all his success to investing acumen. The real key to his success is that he's been a phenomenal investor for three quarters of a century. Had he started investing in his 30s and retired in his 60s, which is a good 30-year investment period, few people would have ever heard of him. Buffett began serious investing when he was 10. By the time he was 30, he had a net worth of 9.3% billion dollars. It's about 7.4 odd crores adjusted for inflation. If, if he spent more of his time like a normal person spending his teens and exploring the world and finding his passion and by age 30, his net worth would be about $25,000 is what Hazel estimates. And let's say he, he retired at 60 and sort of, you know, gave up investing. Uh, his net worth would not have been 84.5 billion with a B. It would have been 11.9 million. That is 99.9% less than his actual net worth. Effectively, all of Warren Buffett's financial success, Housel writes, 
can be tied to the financial base he built in his pubescent years and the longevity he maintained in his geriatric years, meaning something that, uh, meaning something that he started when he was in his early teens, in this case, when he was 10 years old, and something that he maintained in his geriatric years, meaning something which is after 80. His skill is investing, but his secret is time. That's how compounding works. Think of this another way. Buffett is a rich investor, is, is the richest investor of all time, but he's not actually the greatest by compounded annual growth of his investments. So he has got an annual growth of, let's say, 22%, which is great because the market generally gives you about 11 to 12% annually equity. Jim Simons, head of a hedge fund called Renaissance Technology, has compounded at 66% since 1988. No one comes close to this record. As we just saw, Buffett is compounded at a roughly 22% annual rate, which is a third as much. Jim Simmons' net worth about in, in, uh, as, as of last year was $21 billion, which is about a fourth of what uh, Warren Buffett's was. He is 75% less rich than Buffett. The difference is because Simmons, Jim Simmons started investing in his 50s. He's been, he had less than half as many years to compound as Buffett did. If, and this is a staggering fact, if James Simmons had earned his 66% annual return for the 70-year window that Buffett had used to expand his wealth, he would be worth, and this is the number, 63 quintillion, 900 quadrillion, 781 trillion, 780 billion, 748 million, $167,000 in a figure that would be 63900781780748160000. That's about three, four numbers put together. And, and, and that's a ridiculous and an impractical number. But the point that it's important is that even if you compound at a 66% annual return, for a window that is about 20 years, your net worth in this case, by comparison of Jim Simmons and Warren Buffett is 75% less than someone who is compounded at one third of what you have. And he is worth $84.5 billion, 75% more than you, which is, which is just absolute, absolutely staggering. Right. And, 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 the, and the reason this is staggering to us is because we are used to linear thinking, meaning thinking in a straight line, not in terms of, 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 of exponential thinking, thinking if you multiply, right? And the way he, he gives us this example is linear thinking is more akin to uh, addition and exponential thinking is more akin to multiplication. So he gives the example of if I ask you to calculate eight plus eight plus eight plus eight is about nine times, you know that in your head it's eight into nine, which is 72, right? But if I ask you to calculate eight into eight into eight, nine times, your head will probably explode. And that's about one, three, four, two, one, seven, seven, two, eight. So in, in, in that would be 13 crores, 42 lakhs, 117,728. And that, and that is incredibly different than understanding uh, linear versus exponential growth in anything. I'll give you an example with the Indian stock market. Now, as I record this episode, the Indian stock market has hit its 
highest point ever, which is about 18,338 points, which is the Nifty 50 in this case. Now, a year ago, we were up at about what, 10, 11,000 odd uh, after the crash. And most stock markets have risen in this past one year after they have crashed in, in March of 2020. But just think about this. Um, if the Indian stock market, right, you can use any number here, but if the Indian stock market at 18,338 rose at about 0.1%, 0.1% for the next one year, which is October 2021 to October 2020, it would be 26,385 points, which is about a 43%, 44% growth. 44% growth in one year. And that is by growing at 0.1% or 18 points every day. And that is just the Indian stock market, right? You can use this example with any stock market, any form of compounding you use. You can use this with uh, con converting your investments. You can use this with uh, paying an interest on a loan, etc. But that is staggering considering that the Indian stock market in, in 2002, in 2002 was just 1000 points and now it's at 18,000 points. That's an 18X improvement. And in the next one year, we're going up by 12,000 points by simply growing at 0.1%. Imagine what would happen if that 0.1% was 0.2 or 0.3, et cetera. And we can, we can of course do this, right? If it was 0.2, it would be 37,950 points, which is 107% growth. That is more than double. And that's the importance of compounding. And he uses this example for, for the technological innovation in terms of the storage that is there on a mobile or computer device, which in, in, in the 1950s, um, IBM made a 33.5 megabyte hard drive. And now we get six, several terabytes of hard drive, uh, not just in, in, in laptops and computers, but also in external devices. But the point with investing is that Compounding isn't intuitive to most people. We often ignore its potential and focus on solving problems through other means, through more linear means, right? Not because we're overthinking, but because we rarely stop to consider the potential of compounding. As mentioned earlier by Housel in this chapter, there are over 2000 books written on several investing philosophies, on letters of Berkshire Hathaway, on conversations between Munger and Buffett, on several things about Warren Buffett's life and investment philosophy. But the most important factor summed up in two books should be, this guy has been investing consistently for three quarters of a century. It's hard just to wrap your head around that math because it's not at all intuitive. The second book should be just shut up and wait. It's one page with a long-term chart of economic growth. If you expect economic growth to continue, whether it's in the country or in or the world, depending on the market that you invest in, you just have to shut up and wait. The practical takeaway, he says, is that counterintuitiveness of compounding may be responsible for the majority of disappointing trades, bad strategies and successful investing attempts. Everybody wants to get rich quick, but you have to ask yourself one important question. Can I do this over and over again? Good investing isn't necessarily about earning the highest returns. 
because the highest returns tend to be one-off hits and it tends to happen to one in a million people, one in a million hedge fund managers, one in a million investors, one in a million traders. It's about earning a pretty decent rate of return, even if it's 0.1% for the index or 0.1% daily for your for your particular uh, portfolio. It's about can you sustain it over a period of time? It's about sustainability over superior returns. It's about earning a pretty good return that you can stick with and which can be repeated for the longest period of time. That's when compounding runs wild. That's it from this episode of the Psychology of Money from the ATF podcast. If you liked it, do drop a like, share, and subscribe. Subscribe. If there's any way I can improve this podcast uh, by covering more in-depth books or different books, I would love to know. Uh, please do let me know. But that's it from this episode. I will see you next time.